For a more immersive experience, I recommend you wear headphones for this podcast. So if you're new here, which you probably are, because this is only the second episode, I'll give you a quick rundown. My name's Caro, and I work at a gas station in the middle of nowhere, somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. I work the midnight shift, 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., by myself, in the dark, alone, five nights a week. This place doesn't stay open 24 hours on Sunday and Monday, which means effectively I'm the only midnight employee here. It's my full-time job. And this, well, this is a podcast about my shifts, or rather, the things I experience on shift. You see, I'm a little bit haunted, or something. I don't really know what to call it, but what it means is, I get to witness all the weird things that pass through this part of the woods with my own two eyes, and report them back to you, the listener. So what do I mean when I say weird things? Well, I don't know exactly. Maybe that's for you to decide. Monsters? Ghosts? Cryptids? Purest form of creeping evil? Trees just playing really convincingly scary tricks on my eyes? Who knows? I'm no paranormal investigator. Someone else can figure all that out. Before we get too far, I think it's important to give you a little context to how I got this job in the first place. I took it just after I turned 18. I saw the ad in the paper. Everyone kind of knew about it. The gas station sits a couple of miles outside of the small town I'm from, and it's always been kind of a joke that no matter what, there was always a want ad looking for the graveyard shift. We'd always joke and wonder why the owner didn't just close for the nighttime hours and leave the midnight shift stuff to the big boy gas stations and convenience stores. I still don't really know the answer to that. But when I found myself in a situation where I no longer had a roof over my head or food on the table, Desperate measures required I answer that ad, so I did. It was raining when I pulled up in front of the small mom-and-pop-style station, but that's nothing new. It always rains around here. It's a rather gloomy place, honestly, and the gas station itself is kind of gloomy too. Older, chipped white paint on cinder block, cracked and faded parking lot. It has the ugliest neon lighting too, Bright pink and purple and these eye-bleeding stripes across the roof and overhang. Secretly, though, I kind of like it. The retro look of the station itself and the lighting, they just happen to be in my favorite colors anyway. So it kind of felt like fate. Have you ever had that experience where you pass by a place all your life, but you never stop there or go in, but you still somehow know that there's going to be a point that it'll change your life? I never understood what I was feeling when I would see it go by through the car windows, but now, walking through the door, there was a familiar kind of nostalgia for something I'd had yet to experience. Almost like a deja vu feeling I couldn't put my finger on. 
The wild-haired man behind the register looked at me through his thick glasses, brow raised. This was Mr. Sam, the owner of this particular gas co, and the guy I needed to win over to get a job. I could tell he was skeptical through the entire interview. He kept squinting at my resume and looking back at me. He asked to see my license twice. I guess he had a hard time believing I wasn't a 12-year-old boy trying to pass off for a teenager who could drive. I can't really blame him. I'm blessed with short jeans and babyface syndrome, so it's understandable. I give him props for being an incredibly understanding man, even if he had no idea what was really going on. When I cut him off in a panic and asked him to call me Caro, professionalism slipping, he took his glasses off and cleaned them slowly while looking me over, and nodded. He got up and made a call in the back, and I found out later it was to his daughter who had gone to the same school as me for a short bit in the neighboring town, though she was a few years older. She must have reassured him about something, because he came back and asked me if I thought I was sure I could handle being all by myself all night, and if I would be able to lift the boxes and unload pallets from delivery trucks of soda and goods. I told him I was stronger than I looked, gave him my winning smile, and got the job. Sam trained me himself those first few nights. There wasn't anyone else that really wanted to have to work that shift, apparently, and he told me he'd always had a high turnover and trouble keeping the position filled. I remember I privately laughed at that, thinking about seeing the ad all my life for the job. Things seemed normal enough, easy-peasy, really. Stock everything, put away the morning orders on Tuesday, make sure the hot food is prepped, turn over the day manually in the registers and run the numbers. I was pretty good at math, so I caught on quick enough. He told me he'd make sure to have the employee I was relieving take out the trash and prep the pumps. He didn't like the idea of me wandering around the parking lot alone at midnight. I thought that was silly, and maybe he was underestimating me. But he told me that's always how it was. He just felt better if the overnighter stayed safe behind the glass windows of the station. He issued me a uniform, name tag, reimbursed me for no-slip sneakers, and I was on my way. And listener, what a way it was. I was bored. I could see how people didn't want to take this shift. All alone for eight hours? The work part of it only took about two and a half if you were efficient, which I was. I'd been valedictorian of my high school not so long ago, after all. So that left me with a lot of time staring into space. And when you stare too long into space, you start to see things. Shadows moving in the trees somewhere out past the pumps. I didn't really think anything of it. Lots of things could be moving in the woods. Deer, little animals, weirdos. I kept the door locked during my shift, and I could buzz people in if they happened through, but they rarely did. Most of the time, it was just me, myself, and I. I was allowed all the fountain soda and coffee I wanted too, which was a fun little perk, so me on a sugar high. Not much happened those first days. I think I was so focused on doing a good job and proving myself as a valuable employee, I didn't notice what was going on around me. In my defense, though, the strange stuff hadn't really even started yet. The gas station was set back in some woods on the old highway. This place got less traffic than the main highway, and it was great to have a job where I could stay low-key until I figured myself out. Plus, it was also seemingly the perfect place to hide out till I saved up enough to figure out a new living situation. At the moment, I was living in my car. Of course, Mr. Sam didn't know that. I'd used a friend's address on my documents and signed up for a direct deposit situation, so I wouldn't need to get much mail, but the truth was there. 
I was scared if I told him, or if he found out, he'd fire me or call the police, or worse. For that reason, I parked my little Datsun about a half mile from the gas station, on a small turnout in the road, half hidden by tree branches. I hadn't grabbed much when I left home, but I had an old army blanket, you know the kind, one of those itchy green ones that everyone's dad has in the trunk. My neighbor's battle jacket, which was huge on me and almost grazed the top of my knees, but it worked great as a quilt. I had an Ikea shark and an old sleeping bag I'd found at a thrift store. It was one of those good ones from the 70s, the big square kind with duck print on the inside that you could zip all the way around and hide in. I used the army blanket to block out the light in the windows, and I was short enough that I could sleep in the hatchback trunk of the car. It wasn't too bad, honestly, not during the day at least, but then came the first night I had to spend out there. My sleep schedule was all messed up because of working the overnight shift, so I was awake, but spending my time lounging in my cozy little spot, scrolling my phone on occasion, but mostly reading books so I could spare the battery. It was quiet. Normal forest sounds around, occasional car droning by on the highway. There was a small distinctive tapping somewhere in the brush. At first, it didn't really faze me. I was sitting in the middle of the woods after all, but as time passed, it got more distinctive, louder, persistent. I could see through the small cracks in my blanket that didn't quite cover the teetops, and even though it was dark, I could tell it wasn't raining. There weren't any raindrops running down the windshield. Still, the tapping continued, closer now. It felt like it was right by the car. No, it was on the car. Something was softly tapping on the side of my Datsun. There's animals in the forest, I told myself. It's not crazy to think that something would be brushing up against or investigating an object that surely shouldn't be here in the first place, right? It paused and I waited holding my breath. After a moment of silence, I relaxed and went back to my book, keeping an ear out just in case. Suddenly, something dragged itself across the side of my car. It sounded like fabric or fur, a larger animal brushing up against the side paneling. I sat up with a start and bonked my head hard on the sloping back windshield, blinking the stars out of my vision and scrambled to peek out of the blanket's cracks again nothing but darkness. It was so dark I could barely even make out the trees or the road. I was using one of those little yellow battery-powered Coleman lanterns, but even the light from it that should have illuminated the outside a bit was choked by the pitch blackness. The rubbing continued, traveling from the rear of my car and around the other side. It seemed to increase with volume, and after a moment it felt like there was more than one the scraping sound coming from all directions, with me trapped in the middle, unable to see the proverbial shark circling me. I switched off my lamp, plunging myself into complete darkness. My logic here was the classic, if I can't see you, you can't see me, tactic, but I wasn't really sure that that was going to work, considering I couldn't even see it with the light. I strained to hear past the scraping and swishing, but there was no sound of footsteps that I could make out, which was even stranger. I was half parked in dirt and brush. I should by all accounts be able to hear branches snapping, footsteps breaking twigs and pine needles crunching. 
but there was nothing. And then just as sudden as it began, it stopped. Dead silence all around me. Not even the chirping of insects or the night birds. No leaves rustling in the breeze. And I realized after a few seconds, I had forgotten to breathe. I inhaled. Bang! Something slammed so hard against the side of my car, the entire thing rocked on its suspension, creaking loudly like it had never even heard of a car's lord and savior, WD-40. I yelped, losing my balance and toppling backward, slamming against the side paneling and bracing myself as it rocked back and slammed again. My belongings, book and lantern, rattled around me and slipped under the seats out of reach. I managed to peek out of the side window that I was smashed up against, but still, there was nothing but inky black. I rolled over so I was lying flat on my stomach like a starfish to try to get more stable and not be thrown around and hurt myself. This went on for a while, slamming, scraping like I was trapped in the hold of a ship in a violent storm, and not just a tiny hatchback in the woods. I was too scared to try to get out of the car and run, since I couldn't even see what was attacking me, and I couldn't think through my scrambled egg of a brain who I could call for help. The police would surely not believe me or give me a citation and tow my car for parking illegally. My friends were gone, scattered across country and college, and even the one whose address I'd used to get the job was in university in Seattle two hours away. Besides, it was like three in the morning. None of the people I had in my life would be answering a phone at this hour. The car continued to rock and slam, the scraping noises all around me, the roof, the side panels, the windows. I'm not too proud to admit that I was literally weeping with fear at this point. I wasn't sure if this was some sick joke someone was playing on me, a supernatural thing, or if the T-Rex from Jurassic Park had eaten my car. Maybe a bear or a moose? I just lay flat on my stomach, bracing myself and crying all over my interior, holding on for dear life. Finally, I don't know how long it had been, 30 seconds or 30 minutes, I felt around and belly crawled myself into the front passenger seat, still in the dark. I couldn't even see the trees outside, but I had decided this was my only shot to help myself. I reached over and unlocked the passenger door, ready to make a run for it into the street. I pushed it open with my foot and... Nothing. It wouldn't budge. I freaked. Open, please open. It was unlocked. There was a give of maybe half an inch, but the door wouldn't open. I put both feet against it and pushed hard. Please, 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 please open. Nothing. It was like something was pressing the car from all sides, keeping me locked in. I flipped around and tried the driver's side door. Same thing. Maybe I could find the lantern and use it to break a window? I was strong, but not that strong. I pushed against the T-tops. Maybe I could turn the car on and unroll the windows. Wait, wait, turn the car on. I reached up and yanked the blankets down from the windows and swallowed my breath again. It was nothing but black. I couldn't even see the trees, nothing. Just black space like the world had been deleted. My hands were shaking so bad I could barely pull my keys out of my pocket. I jammed them into the ignition, slammed my feet on the brake, and turned the key. Click. I tried again. Click. The check engine light flickered on, but it was weak. The light was stuttering, struggling to stay steady. And then the red, dead battery light illuminated my dash. 
I slammed my hands on the steering wheel, yelling out a few choice words. Panic shot through my veins like pins and needles, and I was feeling dizzy and nauseous. All this time, the car continued to rock and creak, a sound like metal scraping on the side that reminded me of urban legends of the man with the hook murdering people in their cars. I pulled my phone out of my pocket and looked at it, barely able to focus because of the tears, the snot, and the violent shaking of the car. I stared at it for a moment, thinking, but there was no one to call. I closed my eyes tight and thought about what I'd always done before, when the strange things happened to me growing up, and my mind landed on calling my childhood neighbor's old number, the one whose jacket I had stolen that was now slung in the back of the car somewhere. Even though he had been gone for years now, I had the urge to just hear that silly recording on his answering machine one last time, happy sound of his laughter when he made it. I was just about to hit send when my screen blipped over to an incoming call from an unknown number. Hello? The knock on the side of my window came a few moments later. The scraping and shaking suddenly stopped, and the door was wrenched open. Sam stood there, looking down at me, his brand new employee lying across the front seat of my car, my face a soggy, sobbing mess, trembling all over. He asked me what the heck I was doing out here, why was I parked off the side of the road at three in the morning, and why was my car covered in a month's worth of moss and dust and, strangely, hundreds of handprints, and the paint scratched in places all the way down to the metal. Apparently, he'd been driving home from visiting his daughter in Seattle, and he recognized my car on the side of the road. He'd happened by just as I'd turned on my phone and had seen its light inside the cab. On impulse, he called me to find out if I was okay, or if I had been in a wreck or something. I hadn't saved his number in my phone when he hired me. I hadn't thought to do that. I had smarts, sure, but common sense had always eluded me, and I wasn't sure I could trust him then. There wasn't a lot of people that I could trust these days. I couldn't stop crying. So he gathered me up, pulling the jacket out of the back of the car and wrapping it around my shoulders while I incoherently blubbered about bears and mooses and Tyrannosaurus rex. The darkness was gone. The headlights of his car illuminated the road, the trees, my car, and I sagged in his arms and wept with relief. We ended up at an all-night diner where I told him everything. Well, almost everything. The important stuff, anyway. The kind of stuff that you trauma dump all over a person only in the midnight hours at a roadside Denny's. The kicked out of my house stuff and living in my car stuff. It seemed that small towns talk. He confessed he'd already known I'd been thrown out of my parents' house. Most people did, I suppose. His daughter had confirmed it when he called her. That's why he opted to give me a chance with a job. He was worried if he hadn't, worse things could happen to me. He did ask me what happened to my car. It had not looked like that, covered in slime and forest and scrapes just a few days ago when he'd last seen it. I shook my head and told him I didn't know, which was true, honestly. I didn't tell him the rest. But I'll be honest, I think he knew what I wasn't saying, that something had been there that night. He's a man who stays awake in the deep, dark hours himself sometimes. People like us know things. He called his wife while I was washing my face in the bathroom and asked her what he should do with me still, 
really just a kid, frightened and alone, and she insisted that he bring me home. So anyway, that's how I ended up sleeping in my boss's eldest daughter's old bedroom and not in my car on the side of the road. I could hear Sam and his wife discussing what to do with me, which was good, because I really did need all the help I could get. Like I said, taking this job was a turning point in my life. Things were bad, and that night trapped in my car was almost at the top of my list of lonely feelings and despair. But good things can come out of despair sometimes, it seems. And ghosts or not, maybe things were starting to look a little brighter for my future. Whatever was in the woods that night, I guess I got real lucky that Sam happened by. And of course, unbeknownst to me, there was more to come. I didn't know it yet back then, that the gas station is a passing-through kind of place for all sorts. I'd find out what that meant soon enough. But for now, I was safe. And even though I never did get the smell of moss out of my car, and sliding into the driver's seat and shutting the door still makes me painfully anxious to this day, and I never did figure out what happened that night, I decided my best course was to keep trying to move forward and make the best out of what I could of my very strange circumstances. Maybe it would be easier now that I'd found a little help. That's all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. It's kind of relief to get to tell it in its entirety, even if I have no idea who's listening out there or if you even believe me. In some kind of way, it helps me feel a little bit less alone. And of course, <laughs> I know the most unbelievable part about all of this is me answering an unknown number on my cell phone. Desperate times, listeners. Desperate times. So thanks for listening, and remember, always, always save your contacts. You never know when you might need someone to call. So this is Caro signing off, and until next time, thanks for joining me for Maliminal's first episode and be sure to follow social media or subscribe for updates. Want to know more? This podcast is actually based on a webcomic, and you can read it right now for free on Tapas and Webtoon. Search for Maliminal, a horror romance about me, Caro, my podcast and my desperate attempt to win a grouchy barista's heart or for Seemingly Dark, a long-running supernatural comic full of ghosts, mysteries, and of course I'm there too. Follow the creator Raptor Jewels on Instagram or Twitter, or follow Seemingly Dark on Tumblr. Logo and music design is by SnakePixel on Twitter. A very special shout out to all my Patreons and readers, and I'll see you soon with another tale from the other side. <laughs>